The planet's puppet masters almost surely have a plan. This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man. And until you thoroughly tested every last close trusted view, I find the more you think you know, the less you really do. That's true, Dr. Zayas. Where would we be without THC? Cause we know they're lying to us, just don't know to what degree. Yeah, where would we be without THC? The highest side chat show, Red Car One Company. Rock me like a hurricane, higher side chatters from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and if you analyze any age in the human story, you find a very similar relationship between the rulers and the rest of us. Exploitation, tyranny, contempt, and deception seem like the main ingredients in the control cake, and one could say that's been the cornerstone of the people's diet about as far back as we know. But some of the oldest records and stories we have speak of an outside influential invader that changed the natural order of things on this island Earth, and that should make anyone curious. Were we taught, bred, and even engineered to serve some master from outside the system? Did a world of reciprocation and cooperation become one of haves and have-nots under the influence of these new foreign forces? Might the modern-day elite be able to be traced back to this unexpected arrival, and is it possible that this might be the biggest secret of all? Well, when you read the latest book of today's returning guest, Dean Henderson, entitled Royal Bloodline Wetiko and the Great Remembering, you might be convinced. In it, he maps the bad guys right back to Babylon, traces the bloodline to the modern day, and details some of their dirty work that many people overlook. If you don't recall, Dean has been here twice before talking about some of his previous books like Big Oil and Their Bankers in the Persian Gulf, The Grateful Unrich Revolution in 50 Countries, Sticking It to the Matrix, The Federal Reserve Cartel, Illuminati Agenda 21, The Luciferian Plan to Destroy Creation, and Nephilim Crown 5G Apocalypse. Dean has been an author, activist, independent researcher, and public speaker on these issues for over 30 years and was among the early truth-tellers to be ghosted and deplatformed by social media giants like Facebook and Twitter. Dean's Left Hook blog had millions of views when it was deleted by the NSA in 2014 and again in 2019, but he keeps doing his thing and we are lucky to have him. So let's go. The controller class chronicler, royal bloodline revealer, and Anunnaki invasion author, Dean, my man, welcome back to THC. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I really enjoyed the new book. You cover the whole story from the Anunnaki arrival to the present day, and you get into a lot of the nasty stuff the elite have done, including a lot of details I hadn't heard before. So this is going to be good. But before we really dive into the new book, though, I wanted to ask you a bit about some of the things going on in the world currently, primarily in the banking world. We had the failure of several banks, some propped up and bailed out, some not, Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate, Signature Bank, Credit Suisse, First Republic Bank. It's probably going to be three or four more before the time, by the time this show goes out, but all of these have been in the news this week, and we know the banking system is a big house of cards anyway, but it's sounding like that fragility is showing more than it usually does, and you are the author of the Federal Reserve Cartel, so you do know a thing or two about this stuff. What are your thoughts on what's going on? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think the fact that Silicon Valley Bank was the first to go down 
I've been saying this for like the last kind of six months, and I guess I hinted at it probably, yeah, sure, in the book. And, you know, I just think the whole fourth industrial revolution is kind of collapsing on its own weight. You know, like Elon Musk's cars are just running into ambulances and things just aren't going really well. And this whole idea that we could sort of use electricity, this Tesla technology and you know, all the towers and the 5G and whatever to run everything. It's just not really panning out, you know? <laughs> and so a lot of, you know, Silicon Valley Bank was a big venture capital bank where they took real big chances on these kind of far out ideas, you know, like half of the websites that you see now or Snowflake or whatever. I mean, just stupid stuff that's just going to go under and never had a plan, never had a place. And so I think that's one thing is it's a sign of bigger something going on, a more cosmic shift where that kind of failed. I think I have to say we backed off the COVID lockdown. A lot of us did, and that really put the kibosh to that whole thing too. And so then they immediately shifted back to the war economy, you know, the military industrial complex and started this war, you know, and stoked this war in Ukraine. So that's one thing. Another thing is I think the, you know, you saw the big regional banks take a hit, you know, like First Republic still on the ropes and Bank of America's pumped like four billion in and all these big banks are pumping money in trying to save it, but it's not really working. The stock's down again about 10, 15% today. Again, and Credit Suisse now is on the ropes, which is interesting. And this is a hundred and fifty year old bank, and this was a long time, you know, CIA drug laundry. You know, but the interesting thing is they sort of, and they do this sometimes, the global elites will, they call it a golden parachute, where the Saudis will kind of come in. And in this case, they took about a 10% stake in Credit Suisse. And they've done the same to Citigroup and some other banks. And so then the golden parachute is that all the, you know, the really high flyers, the Rothschilds and these people kind of get out of these banks, sell their stakes to the Saudis and let, let it kind of go under or, you know, quietly go under. And the Saudis get some stuff in return for doing that. Obviously, they get armed to the teeth and they get guaranteed oil buys and, you know, all kinds of things. So there's that. And then I also think, you know, just the Fed banks, the big four, they really created kind of this panic where Oh, everybody, you know, you should go to the big four. You should move your money to the big four, right? You've been hearing that right for the last week. And that's what they want. So they want to really maybe crash out some of these regional banks, the competition, in other words. And then another part of it that's not being talked about as much, I think, is just the commercial real estate market. A lot of these regional banks are really heavy into commercial real estate. And again, they kind of screw themselves because they're inbreds and they don't think straight. So they lock everybody down and then all this office space in downtown, yeah, San Diego or Denver or wherever just goes empty and people still aren't going back to work. And so those office spaces aren't getting rented. And so there's a big commercial real estate bubble that's really burst, I'd say already, probably to be followed by a residential bubble. But it might take a while for that one because it's a kind of a different story behind it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, all good information. I've been reading a couple different angles on what might have triggered the bank run-ish on Silicon Valley Bank. And one of the things being Peter Thiel and a bunch of the rich guys getting mad that they had their money locked up for 10 years at only 2% in these bonds. And so they just made calls to each other and said, hey, why don't we all take our money out in unison 
And that caused a big issue. And I've heard other analysts say that this was the rich venture capitalists taking a shot at the Fed for raising rates because they've gotten so greedy and they've taken for granted these really low interest rates that we had for several years, which is where they're making all these bets. It's like they're making all these bets on startups and you might throw your money at 10 of them and eight of them fail, but two of them pop so big that like it's all worth it. But it requires that cheap capital to be able to make those bets. And then, of course, as you say, uh, the green tech is in there and a lot of the tech startups and the green tech stuff is not really making money as it should. It's propped up. And the Fed raising the interest rates has kind of stalled all that. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, for us, that seems like it's a good thing. And as you noted, too, I've also been reading that it might be the start of a controlled demolition of the mid-sized banking system. So we get pushed into the loving arms of the big four banks that will roll out the central bank digital currencies right. once all of us have moved our accounts over. Yeah, it's hard to know. It seems like there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I mean, yeah, for example, Bitcoin's up 33% this week. So Woo. in a way, are they rushing the kids back out of the banking system who don't trust it now because they've never you know, seen this and creating this panic? And they can, by the way, they can create this panic. The only way they can do it is that we're so connected, right? That we're so online all the time. So people are going skiing in Bozeman or whatever, and they're literally moving their money out of First Republic or, or Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank or whatever. And so you can create that kind of like a panic that created kind of this bank run online now. And it's sort of like what the woke mob, you know, I look at like the, I'm sure you read my book, you know, this hive mind that they've created with social media, which is all DARPA, which is all a military operation against your mind. It's an Operation Monarch MK Ultra deal that's now just global and not individual anymore. And so they create the hive mind. The hive mind creates the panic. They rush the kids out of the banking system right when interest rates are coming up where you can actually make 5% on your savings account again into Bitcoin, which is, like I say, the only thing that's up this week and it's up big. And then, yeah, and then they'll later on, they'll go on and they'll dump that. They'll dump Bitcoin again and, cr and crush all those people again. So, but it does look to me like, you know, the biggest part of it is what you're saying about the crushing the regional banks and yeah, maybe precipitating a crisis where they can say, oh, you, you know, start, well, we'll guarantee all these funds, but you're going to have to take your payback in a digital form. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this could very easily be used to usher in this digital currency. And yeah. at some point they'll pick one of these currencies or they'll, you know, I looked, I always looked at Bitcoin and all these cryptocurrencies as look, the big Federal Reserve crowd, they'll let all this run. It's like a big experiment to them and they'll see, you know, which bunch of geeks can get the best model together. Right. And then they'll crash everything else. And then they'll go in and just take over the one they like and crash those people out too. And just, that'll be the one they use. So I still think that's going on. So yeah, it's crazy times, but of course, creating fears is another part of it because they have to constantly create fear. And it just feels like right now this beast is kind of stalking us in every single way. And what I am trying to do with my life is identify that beast for people and see if we can, you know, once we know who it is or what it is, then we have a lot better chance of stopping these unrelenting attacks. I mean, if you think <laughs> about it just recently, you know, with everything that's happening. It's pretty crazy. Right, right. It's like every day is a new 
crisis, at least yeah. according to the mainstream media. True. You look outside, everything seems fine, but hey, true, true. That's uh, the name of the game, and it's just sucks that they've got us at both ends they have their hands on all the financial levers and it's just games within games and there really is nothing for us to do but hold on and speaking of fear let's get into the book royal bloodline with tico and the great remembering you kick it off talking about the lakota crazy horse who you call one of the bravest men to have ever walked the earth and this term walking tonka Elaborate on some of these themes for the unfamiliar. Why start the book off this way? Well, because, you know, the book is really, you know, it does trace the history of what I consider the Anunnaki bloodline that today constitutes the one royal family. Because there's one royal family in the world. They're all related. All these kings and queens are related, no matter if they, you know, pop up in Britain or Sweden or Thailand or wherever. They're all related. They're all part of one big bloodline. And this is what the book traces. But, you know, I think the bigger thing about the book is that it discusses, well, the Wetiko information, the bad information. And Wetiko meaning in Cree, it's a Cree word, and it really means cannibal, but more than cannibal because it's somebody who wants to not just eat your flesh, but eat your soul, right? So when these settlers first showed up, mainly in the Midwest and the interior West, these tribes had been isolated for so long that you have to understand, like, the Bible means nothing to the Lakota or the Cree. I mean, they, they didn't even have contact with white people until 150 years ago. <laughs> they didn't have any idea that people could act like this. It just all baffled them, so they just called them Waticos. Like, these people are nuts, pretty much. And, and they'll just, like, you know, you'll offer them dinner, and then they'll want a week's more dinner, and then they'll burn your house down and take it and declare a homestead act and take your shit. And that's exactly what happened. You know? <laughs> and so. Well, why were white people like that? Well, they were like that because earlier in their heritage, you know, they were hunters and gatherers too in Europe. But then these Anunnaki moved into Babylon, over to Egypt, across to the Holy Roman Empire and the Middle Ages. And they treated the white people just like that. And they taught them to be like that. And so the book's really about like how we've been sort of taught these certain set of preconceived notions that we just take for granted. and how all those really come in the end nowadays from the Royal Society, which is, you know, the bloodline basically it hid behind religion for a while, hid behind Judaism first, created this fake Jewry in Babylon, which wasn't Judaism, it was Talmudic Satanism. And, you know, this is where the Baccarat family came from, which became the Bauer family, which became the Rothschild family eventually. But the Baccarats were key in the Silk Road slave trade and all the other Silk Road trade. And they were trading with the Lee family from China. And they were supplying a lot of slavery, slaves, it's a Tang dynasty. But the Lees are, you know, one of the bloodline families as well. So early on, they came here and they just spread out everywhere and they just looks like took it over. So they hid behind Judaism and then they hid behind the Catholic Church. They were openly pagan in Egypt. I mean, they were just the pharaohs. They didn't even speak Egyptian. They didn't speak the local language. The only one that did was Cleopatra VII, the last pharaoh. And then she had a tryst with Julius Caesar, and they had a kid named Caesarian. And the amazing thing about doing this book was how seamless the history is, actually. If you just look at it and you study, and you can just map it, how the Anunnaki moved to become the pharaohs and into Babylon, 
And then from Egypt, these elongated skull pharaohs, as soon as the Egyptian empire was crushed, because there was an uprising, people were just sick of these pharaohs and all the greed and forced labor and everything, slavery. And so right when that was going down, about 67, 80 or something, that's when Julius Caesar and Cleopatra had the affair. And then it was Julius Caesar, who most people believe burned down the Alexandria Library, sort of burn all the evidence of all these bloodlines and their control everywhere, and then move across the Mediterranean and, and become the Holy Roman Empire. So then they hid behind Catholicism. They hijacked Catholicism through the Council of Nicaea in 200-something AD, and they said, and before that, people thought Jesus was just another dude and a really good dude, and but we all had to be good dudes and good dudettes or whatever. And then, no, the Council of Nicaea, which was presided over by uh, Constantine the Great, basically just said, no, Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is your Messiah. You know, he's the only one. And so then people started thinking like that, and it what that does is it takes responsibility off a person and it puts it onto this other guy. You know, he's going to die for your sins and all this horse shit, which he didn't. He died because he was murdered by the Illuminati. Okay, hmm. get it straight. He was murdered by the bloodline. He was murdered by the Anunnaki. And the Habsburgs still have the spirit of destiny that was used to kill him in their castle in Austria. But they move across there. They hide behind Catholicism. Then they go, they have the falling out with, you know, old Jacques Delamay was burned at the stake by Pope Clement. and the king of France, who was apparently in debt to Demolay, who was the grand wizard of the you know Knights Templar or whatever. And so they had the falling out, and all the loot suddenly disappeared, and it kind of turned up later mostly in Scotland. And then the Sinclair family, one of the bloodline, one of the members of the bloodline, or the St. Clair family, sometimes it's known as Sinclair or St. Clair, Remember that Sinclair is the big radio broadcaster in this country that controls almost every AM station now. Mm -hmm. So they're coming out of the closet. So you can actually, now you can see these names coming up. They helped facilitate, you know, William the Conqueror and, and then under William III, they pretty much, you know, moved the masonry into the city of London, which is already part of the Roman Empire, very important part of it. it became much more important in the 15th century shipbuilding and then really took off. And they moved the Masonic stuff into the city of London, created the, this one square mile. Nobody knows when because the papers for the city of London Corporation have mysteriously disappeared. The charter does not exist. So that's interesting too, because it's probably 2000 years old, this thing. But anyway, that's when they started to hide behind the Royal Societies and sort of the Anglican Church or Protestantism. And they actually funded Martin Luther because as a kind of a revolt against the Catholic Church, which had, you know, butted heads with. And the whole premise of Martin Luther also was, you know, you didn't need to do good acts to go to heaven. That's the Protestant thing, right? The Catholics believe, yeah, you have to believe in Jesus and God and all that, but you also have to live a good life. But the Protestants don't believe that. So that's kind of big because when you're a 8,500-year-old hybrid alien human dynasty that lives like a parasite off humanity and the earth, you don't really want to be responsible for your actions, right? So that just takes that right off of you. And it's all you got to say is Jesus is your savior, right? And that's it. And that's all you hear from these evangelical people nowadays, which is just insane. And, you know, while they're driving around in their pink Cadillacs and, you know, God said I should live in the castle. And yeah, right. So huh. anyway, it's this kind of garbage that was inculcated in people, you know, throughout all this history of. So then they went, once the Masonic thing had taken hold in the city of London, that's when the Royal Society popped up. 
And so then they're not hiding behind, you know, the Judaism anymore. They're not hiding behind the Catholic Church. They're not even hiding behind the Protestants. Now they're hiding behind science. And so science is the new Messiah, right? Science is the new religion. And so everything that the Royal Society has told us, we believe is true, like, you know, survival of the fittest or, you know, Big Bang theory or like evolutionary theory or atomic physics theory, you know, these are theories. Okay, there's a reason they call them theories, right? But people just take it as gospel. And then they internalize that and they sort of become mean spirited and they develop this kind of first strike mentality. And I have one chapter in my book, it's called First Strike Batico. And that's what, you know, it's this idea that I use the example of some colonizer that was in Alaska and in Kodiak Island and this bear rears up. And instead of talking to the bear and backing down and demurring a little bit and just letting the bear pass, which he easily could have done, he just shoots the bear and the head goes back to some king's castle, I suppose. And the Indian, you know, the, the Yupik way is just totally, you know, that's just crazy. I mean, that's why you take a life. This is your relationship right here. This is a relation of yours. Don't you understand? This is your brother. And no, they don't understand. And most white people don't understand. And most Indians don't understand anymore, really. And that's sad because that's the reality. That's the nature of the reality we inhabit. That is the very nature of it, that we have these relationships. And that reciprocity is what really counts. Like the more you reciprocate, the better your life gets. It's just instant karma every step of the way. If you live a good life, if you're a nice person, your life is easy, it's good. If you live a life where you're in conflict with people and you're always trying to cause problems and look for trouble and look for problems in God's creation, oh, this is, and you're not grateful and all this stuff, then he goes the other way. And it really is kind of like that's kind of God versus, you know, Lucifer. Because Lucifer and the, all the fallen angels, the Nephilim or the Anunnaki, those interchangeable terms to me, they believe they can come up with the things that are better than what creation offers. So that's why they come up with vaccines. That's why they come up with Roundup. That's why they come up with atomic bombs, you know, and, and just crazy things that don't work. They overoperate on people. They just, because they're so smart and they're going to, and now they're finding out that, yeah, like if you have certain cancers, you just leave them alone. You'll be fine. You have just as good of a chance of living with that tumor as you do if they start cutting you up and radiating you. So, but it's just like this really kind of medieval mindset more so that these rulers have put onto the people, especially the Western person. But increasingly, you know, they're trying again to spread this cult. It's like a cult to the third world too through cell phones and the internet and TV and, you know, screens everywhere. Screens are just ubiquitous everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And they learned that from Edward Bernays working from MKUltra. And, and there was a project, Monarch, actually, was the main project under MKUltra. And so, yeah, interesting name. So, I mean, it's all kind of like, that's what the book's about anyways. It's not only about the history of this bloodline, but it's more about the ideas and the crazy insanity that they've put into our heads. And that's where I use kind of the Lakota and the Wakantanka, which Wakantanka in, you know, to Lakota, that's Lakota word. That means the great mystery. And I myself can't think of a better way to describe the good in the world or the God in the world or whatever created this world. It's just, it is, it's a great mystery. I don't pretend to understand it. I'm just like a little child just fumbling around in this world. I don't really understand much of anything, you know, but that's the whole thing. Like these Satanists, they think they know everything and they're trying to get everyone to think that way. Like everyone knows everything. 
and it's really dangerous. And this is why I think airplanes are falling out of the sky and there's near misses. And, you know, this, this is why just a lot of crazy stuff's happening. It's just the incompetence and sort of this arrogance of the people. They're losing touch with reality. They're being initiated into this cult. And they don't even know it. And it is the screens. And yeah, it just caused a bank run at Silicon Valley Bank, this kind of Wetiko. This is the Wetiko that they've sown in people. So we all need to, yeah, deconstruct that and also know who those families are and know who's in charge and that they are in charge. It's a royal bloodlines through the city of London Corporation, which is ancient. And that's where all the masonry is headquartered. All the Templar stuff is headquartered. The Knights of Malta are, are their moles in the Catholic Church. Not the Jesuits. The Jesuits, to me, are just always run down for no. I can never find any evidence of anything hardly about the Jesuits, probably because they're the good guys. I think they are the good guys. Hmm. And maybe this Pope, because he's a Jesuit, I mean, he has at least taken a few positions. Like lately, he's, you know, he's not criticizing Russia or the U.S. He's saying this is a war. You all need to just back off. And, you know, who knows? But anyway, they just got their moles, their agents everywhere all the time and in academia, in finance. And there's just a pecking order and a hierarchy to how it all works. But it's amazingly tight-knit and it's amazingly seamless. The Holy Roman Empire literally died, I think, was 90, was it nine? Yeah, it was nine years, actually, before the Pax Britannica was declared, the British Empire. And as I said, the pharaohs, 67 years ahead of the Holy Roman Empire. And yeah, some people think, you know, en Enki and Anlil, these commanders of the Anunnaki, when they first came here, became Horus and Ramses in Egypt and were the same person, were the same exact people and not people, but hybrids. So it's pretty seamless and pretty amazing, really. And just the fact that people can't see it, that's what is really even more amazing. And that has everything to do with what I'm talking about with this Watiko, the sowing of really deception in people and telling people lies about the very nature of reality and the very nature of who they are as people. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. What a summary, man. And when I read your work, I feel like there are no good guys, but when it comes to the Jesuits, it seems like they really kind of control a lot of the major universities. So maybe that's where their influence comes into play. And some yeah. of the major medical universities too, which obviously that's, a big component of the control apparatus. But yeah, it's a tangled web. It's hard to really know. We're talking about thousands of years of history and you're really good at summarizing this complex stuff. And you've written about the Royal Bloodline continuity before, but what aspects of this lineage, this network, did you not know until you started doing the research and compiling this latest book? Oh, I actually learned a lot. I mean, there was a lot I, I didn't know, and there's still a lot I don't know. And it, it a lot of times it just seems like you stumble across things, you know, when you're doing this kind of project, you know, and it's just stuff that, yeah, I mean, you know, like I didn't know the Wellesley family was so powerful, and, and they basically became, well, you know, that's where Wells Fargo came from, for example. I didn't know the Candius family Another Italian black nobility family was now become the Mars family, the chocolate bar family people. And the more you study it, the more you realize it genealogically, it's seamless. I mean, the Pallavicinis, uh, people I'm sure in the past have heard me talk about the Pallavicini family, very powerful Holy Roman Empire family. 
And it turns out they're related to the Cromwell family in Britain and also to the Shah of Iran, which I should know that already because I know it's one big family. But this idea is, is just seems so far out, right, that this could be one bloodline. But one of the most interesting things I came across, it was actually, believe it or not, it was on CNN. One day I just was flipping around and I saw this royal genealogist. I think he worked for Burke's Peerage, probably. He said the royal families are all one big family, actually. And he actually said that on CNN. And I about fell on my chair. And it's true. And that's the thing. And that's what it's the sangreal. It's this royal blood. But why is that so special? You know, what makes that blood so special? Yeah, it's RH negative largely, which is also interesting. So it is different. And it could actually have a, maybe it has a blue tinge to it. Thus the name Blue Blood, you know, I've heard that mentioned. I don't know. I've never looked at the blood of any of these people, but it's different. And all this happened, see, all this happened in the last 8,500 years. That's what's really, to me, amazing about it. It's like, if this is really what went down, and if this is, you know, if this is it, then this is relatively new, right? Which should give us hope. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I can tell you from studying, you know, I grew up in South Dakota here and I studied a lot of Lakota in college. And I can tell you they've been around for over 100,000 years easy and haven't had any problems really until about 150 years ago when, you know, the settlers came. And that's a fact. And so we can be a lot better than this. We can do a lot better than this as a society, but we have to. First, we have to strip these people of their power, obviously. And I'm just, you know, I'm like, I don't know if it's, you know, it, it's some days I think, yeah, more people are talking about the royals and yeah, we're getting somewhere. And then some days I'm just like, man, they're off talking about this little bit of the puzzle again or this little minutia of the problem again. or And mostly it's like that. And of course, that's by design and that's, you know, how they want to keep it. but. If we have got to get serious, I mean, it's just like people, it's our natural instinct. If we're human and for animals, which we're both, then we, we have to have this natural instinct for danger. And if we see danger coming at us, we have to identify that danger. If a bear is running at you in the woods and you camp near a river and you see the bear, you can't just sit there and, you know, plug your ears and go, la, 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 I don't see it, I don't see it. You can't do that or you'll die. Well, the same thing, exactly the same thing is happening to our world today. So if you see that bear, first of all, you better learn to see the bear and that, you know, you have to learn to see the bear, <laughs> you know, in this case, because they're telling you it's something else. They're telling you it's not a bear. They're in 6G, 7G, 10G, 15G. They're telling you, oh, this is, you know, an apple's an orange and a tree's a rock. And they're telling you, and this is what makes it really intense right now, because the level of psychological warfare going on from DARPA, from the Crown, DARPA is just an agent of the Crown, from Google, which came out of DARPA from, and it was called Mimics before it became Google Mimics, like get everybody to mimic everybody, right? They just mock us, you know, and then Facebook was LifeLog, it's a DARPA project, came directly out of that. And so all this is manipulation, all this is brainwashing people and making them dumber. I mean, technology is making us dumber. There's yeah. just no doubt about it. I mean, so the amount of time you spend, I don't care if it's social media, if it's your blog, or if it's, you know, just surfing the internet, or even just having the computer on, maybe, I'm starting to think, it's just the more you do that, the dumber you're going to be. 
And that's okay. the God's honest truth. I swear to God. And so I only get on the thing for this and I'll, I'll check my email once a day. My book sells once a day. I turn my phone off all day. We need to do these interviews. We need to do this kind of stuff, but we don't need to do a lot of stuff we're doing <laughs> yeah. on these things. So it's really interesting times, but it's like, uh, again, it is a test. It's like, which way are you going to go? You know, are you going to cave in? Are you going to say a bear is not a bear? Are you going to just agree to that and let them get away with that deception? What's the next thing going to be? It's okay to kill your kid, you know, and that's okay now. And I mean, you know what I mean? Cause this is a Satanist cabal that wants to invert our morality. And I do feel like the morality of the general public, especially I have to say the young people is slipping. Like they don't even sometimes have a sense of morality, like what's right and wrong. It's more about, you know, what I need to do to comply or what I need to do to make authority happy, or what I need to do to make money, or there's no set of like values, and there's definitely no like sense of reciprocity. So when you fracture that sacred hoop of reciprocity, and you fracture those relationships, you're left with this, this sort of linear understanding and this, it's a dead end cul-de-sac, I mean, you just keep going and going, and you never round that circle, and you never deal with things you need to deal with, and you never reciprocate, and then your life just gets extremely isolated and lonely. And that's the idea of technology. It's a beast system. I think it is the beast. I think technology is the beast we're talking about. Now, the people behind the algorithms of this technology are part of that beast too, because their Wetiko mindset programs these algorithms in certain ways, and they're nuts. I mean, they're certified Satanists. They may not even know it. They don't even know a lot of them that they're Luciferian, but the way they act, take a bite out of the apple, mock, God, move into agriculture from hunting and gathering. But one of the things, you know, I learned in this book I read about, they were forced in, people were forced into hunting and gathering. So it wasn't so much that, you know, humans fault. It was that we were literally forced into hunting and gathering by the serpent and tempted out of the Garden of Eden, which was hunting and gathering, which was so much easier and so much better and so much more about reciprocity. And you counted on everyone. You know, it was clear in your tribe that everyone was equal, that there was no hierarchy. It was pretty anarchist, really, like leave people alone, they leave you alone, but with a kind of an anarcho-syndicalist, definitely bent because they help each other. Everybody had free healthcare, everybody had free education, everybody got to eat. A hunter ate last because the hunter knew that by eating last, he gained more respect and he would, that sacred hoop would stay intact. That's the good red road that you walk. You have to walk a road in this life and you pick your road and it's either the good red road or it's a road that's lost. And it's all about the value system. It's all about your values. It's all about mm -hmm. what you value. You know, what, do you value relationships, reciprocity, or do you value money, material things, all these things that happen, starting with us settling into agriculture? Because, you know, when you settle into agriculture, you get more stuff. You have a place to store the stuff, right? You're in competition with the next guy across the fence all of a sudden, where you used to work together, right? Women, the status of women crashed under agriculture. I mean, that's when women really took a hit. I mean, in hunting and gathering societies, they were equals. They were on the councils. You know, it was always old men, old women that were the tribal councils. They didn't have chiefs. That was a total foreign, again, Wetiko concept, that there would be this one person that ran your whole damn tribe. I mean, that, that's just not the way it was. But, you know, nowadays they appoint, the BIA appoints the most corrupt people as the chiefs or whatever the tribe, sure. Yeah, that's one of the most unique aspects of your book and your take on a lot of this stuff is that the Anunnaki arrived and then forced humanity into agriculture because usually it's framed as a good thing. A lot of researchers yeah. call them the culture seeders and 
consider agriculture to be one of the big positive things they taught ancient people, along with mathematics and science and all kinds of other stuff. And I think that's an interesting take. I mean, you yeah. lived on a multi-generational farm. You had another farm in the Ozarks. So you know that that's not necessarily the easiest lifestyle. And it's really hard for us to get an accurate picture of an unadulterated system because we've been in this one for so long. Yeah. But there's another section in the book that I really liked where you break down the history of crown slavery and the British East India Company from the Kingdom of Castile invading the Canary Islands and workers not being able to own land, but having to work on crown-owned land. Mm. That not only comes up in sugarcane, cotton, tobacco, rice, coffee plantations, but also just in agriculture itself, because the king is like, this is my land, you can work it, and then give me the crops, and then take what's left, if I have anything left that doesn't fit in my storehouses. Right. But you also have this really good breakdown of the history of the Congo, which contains most of the world's rare earth minerals, and it's still being mined by slaves today for our smartphones, electric car parts, and a lot of other modern technology, including most of the green stuff, which is a real mindfuck right. for a lot of people because we think about slavery as this thing in the past, and oh my God, that was so terrible. How could people live like that? We would never live like that today. You are living like that today. Yeah. You know, half the things you use throughout the day come from these slave systems over there in the Congo. But I didn't know much about the names of the people and corporations involved. And I hoped you could walk us through some of that history and crown puppets like Mabuntu, CC, Siku, and companies like Glencore, which are now kind of running the show. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the Congo was always the fiefdom of the Belgians, you know, it was the only country the Belgians had really in Africa. And I shouldn't say the Belgians, it was the Belgian crown, which were Habsburgs, you know, and it was King Leopold for most of that time. And the Congo, yeah, I mean, that's really why there's this huge war in the Congo today. That's It's killed like 6 million people in the last 15 years. And worse than Pol Pot. It's worse than Hitler. I mean, it's a genocide and nobody talks about it. And you're right. The reason they don't talk about it is because all these rare earth minerals are coming out of there that run all our laptops and all our phones and all our electric smart whatever, which we think is so green. So yeah, I guess 6 million deaths, that's not too green, but it's more than that. It's got copper. It's got a lot of stuff. It's got magnesium. I mean, it's probably the most, you know, mile per mile, definitely the most mineral rich country in the world. And that's why when they finally, you know, threw the Belgians out in decolonization, Patrice Lumumba was the guy that was popular and he was the guy everybody wanted to be prime minister. And, you know, then he was assassinated. And some people think it was Frank Carlucci, who was Reagan's defense secretary, you know, who actually assassinated him and could be. I've definitely come across that. So they took out Lumumba and they installed, yeah, Mobutu Sese Seko who became a billionaire and he just opened his country up to the mining giants. You know, in that part of the world, it's really all led by Anglo-American Corporation, which is the Rothschild Oppenheimer conglomerate that owns De Beers, Diamonds. It also owns, it's a gold processor. There's one company that processes all the gold in the world, literally. And anyway, they own it. I can't remember the name right now. It's in the book. But yeah, and so, 
you know, a lot of it was those interests for sure. And those interests were established early on in South Africa. I would argue, you know, during the Anunnaki invasion that far back, because South Africa was where a lot of this stuff happened. A lot of the, I think, some sort of technology that allowed them to levitate this, whatever they were after back to the Nibiru. You know, and that's probably explains Michael Tellinger's findings and those weird sort of gyroscopic, look like cattle corrals, but they're not all over South Africa because I think that was a way to transport stuff back up. But but that's been a long time, you know, in South Africa. And of course, Congo, you know, it's not very far from there. It's not very far from Zimbabwe, which was Cecil Rhodes' fiefdom. And for the same reason, I mean, that area is just really rich in minerals. But yeah, the East India Company, I mean, that was yeah, was chartered by the Tudor family, one of the bloodline families. They ruled, and then the Plantagenets ruled after that, and the Windsors are still Plantagenet blood. I mean, again, it's one big family, so they're all related. The Tudors are related to the Plantagenets, too. There was this big like eugenics project in Normandy that you come across in the 13th, 14th century where all these families came, and then the banking families also came from Venice, like the De Medici's and the Lombards and the Bards, which is what Queen Elizabeth, her family actually is. She's a Venetian banker, you know, blood. But again, they're all related. But they got together again in Normandy, and they kind of inbred some more. And that's where William the Conqueror came out of was Normandy. And he rushed into England and took it from King Harold in Norway or whatever. And then they that's when the city of London and the masonry and all that stuff really got going. But yeah, East India, they would take slaves from whatever, Mozambique, take them to Indonesian plantations that they controlled. And you have to remember, East India Company was, again, it had a royal charter. They had the golden share. It was owned by the royals. And in the same way that Serco is controlled by the royals today. And the biggest slaving company was actually the Royal Africa Company, which was wholly owned by, I believe it was King James II. And they were by far the biggest slave trading company was the Royal Africa Company. And so, yeah, of course, then they brought him here. But so it just goes through this kind of uh, transformation from open slavery. And then when slavery ended, and some people think it was just because it was too expensive, it was cheaper for the oligarchs to actually pay people this pittance of you know, wages and not have to feed them and not have to house them not have to put up with insurrections. So they started this decolonization. And I have a chapter about that, about how that was just a total fraud because, yeah, the kings and queens aren't ruling your country directly anymore. The British administrators left Kenya, but they were just replaced by these African administrators who were corrupt, you know, who were appointed chiefs, you know, by the British. And then they just continued to work right away with the IMF, which was set up post-World War II, right about the time of decolonization, right? So you go from open colonization to sort of financial parasite colonization, right? Where you sink these countries into debt and people like Mobutu run the country. Mobutu gets rich, siphons off IMF loan money, sure, siphons off a lot, just total corruption. They put the money back into the offshore bank system, which is controlled by the city of London, of course, as we know, through the Bank of England numbered accounts. And then, you know, so they're helping bolster that system in so many ways, but they're black. And so it looks better. And so the late stage of this is you go from science and rural societies and you kind of crescendo with the vaccine. 
mRNA. And now it appears that they're taking this, it's always a sales pitch, right? It's always, they have to convince us. So decolonization, oh, that's so hip, that's so cool. And that really helps people out. Yeah, and then, so now it's the woke movement. And then really the woke movement is what they're hiding behind now. It's gone from the Royal Society and its science, which yes, is still kind of God. I guess science, you know, they're fake science. It's all fake science. It's a mockery of science. What they call science is a mockery of science, okay? Just to be clear, we're the scientists. The Indians were the scientists. The Lakota were the scientists, okay? So just to be clear, and it's very important. Well, then you find all these guys like Malthus and, you know, John Malthus, Thomas Malthus, Thomas Hobbes, all these philosophers who came up with all these crazy ideas, you know, that were kind of cast upon us, you know, the British literary, you know, literati, and all these people are supposed to think are great writers. They were literally like Hobbes was a math instructor to Charles Prince of Wales of the Cavendish family, for example. You know, Malthus was a member of the Royal Society. His grandfather was Daniel Graham, who was an apothecary pharmacist to Kings George II and George III, graduated from Cambridge. You know, all these guys were literally taken around by the royal bloodline and their ideas were promoted. And of course, their ideas are just garbage. I mean, you know, Hobbes, is a quote from Hobbes, force and fraud are in war, the two cardinal virtues. Covenants without the sword are but words and of no strength to secure a man at all. When all the world is overcharged with inhabitants, then the last remedy of all is war, which provideth for every man by victory or death. <laughs> <laughs> right? War provides, huh? Okay. <laughs> These are the, and they're still teaching this bullshit at every university, philosophy 101 department in the country, probably. Yeah. To my knowledge. And this is the kind of Wetiko mindset that we're talking about here, this really twisted view of the world really full of fear right just full of fear yeah. just had to shoot the bear because i was so scared and i lived my life so scared and it's but that's the way they are and they're the most pathetic creatures you'd ever come across but they run the world yeah and somehow we have to change that to where the smartest people run the world you know like you should be the president dude or oh. whatever <laughs> seriously i mean seriously but i mean it's just we're stuck with this because we don't have the guts to really call it out and identify it and take it out. I don't care how we take it out. I'm not a I'm not a pacifist. I'm not a I'm not a, a warmonger for sure, but I don't care how we take it out. And I don't think God cares either. Mm -hmm. Or Tonka cares either. Well but said. I do think it's an obligation to take it out because it's a parasite that's injuring our brothers and sisters, including our brothers and sisters in the natural world every single day. And they've stepped over the line a long time ago. So we are within our rights of self-defense by any means necessary. Right. I would agree. I would agree. Man, the more things change, the more they stay the same, as they say. And that's a really good breakdown of the history of the exploitation of Africa and slavery. I mean, the only difference today is that they keep the slaves in Africa and bring the product here instead of bringing the slaves here to work on creating the products in our own backyard. I mean, that's really the only difference. So yep. the fact that people want to pretend like we're all equal and, and they <laughs> love humanity, it's like, well, you're not doing shit, honestly. No. You know, you're actually buying the products. That... Yeah, it's a cover. It's, it's a cover. Like I say, it's a sales pitch, right? So what passes as woke, like people think of that as progressive. And there's a reason for that because... You know, the bloodline, what they really want to destroy is any notion of progressive, like real progressive, which is tribal society. 
which is reciprocity, which is sharing, which is equality, real equality. I mean, they talk about equity, but I've never seen the lives of black people in worse shape in this country. I've never seen the lives of the native people on the reservation 100 miles from here worse. They've never seen it worse. And yet they give lip service to the color of your skin. They give lip service to your gender or your transgender. They don't care. Look, this is just all it is is a sales pitch. And then, yeah, a certain amount of the liberals buy into it, way too many of them, and they internalize this kind of wokeism. But it's actually very reactionary and capitalist in nature because it's defending capitalism. What it's saying is don't talk about class. You know, no, 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 don't talk about class. We want to talk about race. We want to talk about gender. We want to talk about your pronouns. We want to talk about as many pronouns as we can so we can divide you just that much further along different lines. And we just want to fracture this whole society because the only thing that unites a society is when you start talking about class, when you start talking about the rich and the poor and the middle class and the middle class and the poor having something in common, a lot in common, everything in common, really, in this fight against the rich who have already stolen our property. So, you know, as far as, oh, we can't redistribute the wealth. Well, that already happened. Your wealth was redistributed among the wealthy already. Your land was stolen. You don't own any land and nobody owns any land anymore, hardly. 200 years ago, a lot of people own land in this country. What happened? Well, they stole our land. They stole everything. So we need things like land reform. We need things like, you know, really radical, really progressive things. And this is the worst enemy of the oligarchy. So they have to create this woke movement. It's perfect, right? It's perfect. So they create this woke movement. Eventually, this will just discredit progressivism for a long time. Again, they do this all the time. And they'll take it down a notch and then nobody will want to talk about real socialism or real anarchism or real justice systems that we can create that were more like the tribal people had. No, we'll just fight against each other on Facebook about transgender issues and racial stuff and patronize black people, I guess, patronize women. I guess that makes you feel good. But you know what? That's racist to me. I mean, these are the most racist people, these woke people, which is also, hey, the invert the language, right? So the woke people are actually the zombies and the people who are sort of backwards and aren't woke, we're the woke people. Just FYI. <laughs> Pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really good point. Man, it's a just a mess out there. And this is just a, a curious paragraph I wanted to ask you about. Just a little unknown piece of history. Doesn't really fit in with what we're talking about. But you say, in the mid-1800s, British East India Company General Henry Rawlinson, a close associate of Lionel Rothschild, Cecil Rhodes, and Alfred Milner, unearthed more than 30 tons of documents from the Sumerian region near what is now in Iraq. Many of these were cuneiform contracts from the Babylonian era. They transported the documents to Basra, where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers empty into the Persian Gulf, then built ships to transport the mother load back to London, Paris, and Berlin, historians tell us that these ships were sunk as they set sail, but by who they do not say. Interestingly, following the late 20th century Gulf War, the British and Crown's BP came to control Basra once again. Damn, that's very interesting. I just wonder how many similar caches have been found and destroyed that we don't even know about. Yeah, I think it's a big part of what they do, you know cover their tracks. You know, they, they're always changing their names. I mean, you can't help but notice that even the wealthy families, they'll always just change their name or they'll, you know, they'll like part of when Exxon, Exxon merged with mobile. Well, for a while I call it Exxon mobile and all of a sudden just Exxon. So you just forget about mobile 
if you just forget about how big that really is. And same with Chevron Texaco for a while. Now it's just Chevron, but you forget Texaco is part of that too. <laughs> and they do that all the time with their personal names too. I mean, the Pacer family apparently is just notorious. The, the Rothschilds too for just changing their names. And there's probably a lot of Rothschild bloodline people that control towns and counties and things throughout this country and their name's not Rothschild, but they actually are Rothschilds. So what you have to do when you're colonizing a planet, enslaving its people into, you know, first farming, then open slavery, then wage slavery. Meanwhile, just eating all the resources of that planet and using people as human batteries to charge your systems even. You have to keep pretty much covering your tracks and pretty much telling people you're something you're not. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the key. You have to tell people you're something you're not. And everything then becomes a lie. I mean, everything that comes from these people who are telling us that is has to be a lie by necessity. But that's the Watiko. And whether or not you, you know, it's sort of to the degree you believe this stuff or you think it's total lies that you're going to be a healthy person. And if you understand that it's lies, you can be a healthy person. But if you're caught up in it, maybe you're even expressing some of these ideas yourself you know you're using words that you don't even know what the meaning of that word is it's really dicey times i mean you really have to have a strong moral compass right now and the only way you're going to do that if you didn't get a you know i guess maybe i was lucky my dad taught me some things even though i died at age 12 that i could never i'm so lucky right because i know a lot of kids didn't get taught what i got taught and it was basically it's not about being right or winning it's about doing the right thing son mm. yeah Great lesson. And that's basically what it is. I mean, that's the, in a nutshell, we've got a society that goes around trying to be right about everything, trying to win everything. And they don't care about being the, the person who's, you know, empathetic. And I mean, in a real way, not in a phony, oh, I'm an empath. I don't know how many people <laughs> tell you I'm an empath and they're these total fucking narcissists. It's like, go away. Yeah. But really, like really caring about, you know, genuinely helping others that need help. Mm -hmm. So my old man taught me that. So how else do you learn it? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's really hard if you're older and you never had that. And a lot of people didn't. And I feel terrible for them. And I was lucky, but that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the Indian way of thinking, the native indigenous people of the earth way of thinking, which is reciprocity, kindness, generosity, fortitude, strength, never focusing on the needs of yourself, always focusing on the needs of the whole versus the society of, of tech zombie, woke, narcissistic, Luciferian people who do not know even that they're Luciferian, but the way they act, they are, certainly are. Yes. And it, it seems like a really hard lesson to learn because society and culture gives us all the wrong messages and yes. incentives. So the only place you're going to get that is from family, which is also probably why there's more detachment from family than ever. And schools want to raise the kids and schools want to do things with your kids without even informing you. And it's a it's a messed up place to be for sure. Let me ask you about the Anunnaki's motivation, because we hear this story that they came here because they wanted to extract materials to take home to repair their own ozone and their own atmosphere. And you would think they would want to go home. I'm just curious what really motivates this alien race to come down here where they all, they don't respect us. They don't even like the earth. 
They think we're all just dumb monkeys. Well, then why stay here and rule over us in that fashion? Like if we were to try to create an analogy and scale it down and, you know, me and you got lost in the jungles and stumbled upon a bunch of monkeys, we wouldn't really want to rule over them in the jungle. We'd be like, this is really dumb. I'd like to get back to where I'm from, where everybody's on my page, the environment I know. Maybe they weren't able to, but what do you see as the Anunnaki's real motivation for running this 9,000 year con? Yeah, that's definitely the $64 million question, I think, Greg. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, could be, like you said, they can't get back. They don't have the ability. Could be they got here and decided, wow, you know, this place has a lot of resources. Let's suck it dry and then we'll go back. It could be they're just so off. I mean, they obviously had some, whatever these Anunnaki's are, you know, whether it's like, you know, sometimes I wonder if it's like reincarnated souls of people here who had a tough life, you know. Sometimes I wonder if it, you know, is it just a, a cosmic battle with God just because they think they're smarter than God and they just have to prove it over and over and keep proving it because they're, you know, again, they didn't get enough love from their, their family. <laughs> the family didn't love them enough. They didn't teach them the joy of loving and how awesome that is. You know, it's all about the intellect, science and learning, blah, blah, blah. Dead ends, you know, and they can't stop because of the Watiko. They cannibalize everything. They cannibalize every soul that gets in their way. They cannibalize. I don't know. But it's really, I don't know, is what it is. But I, I'm speculating the possibilities here. And again, and part of it may be that's just a test for us. You know, it's God testing us. God saying, well, these people had a tough life there. They're going to come back. They're going to challenge you. You're going to have to call them out. If you don't, you're going to get drugged down with them. Because in the end, people have to start taking some responsibility, some personal responsibility for their actions and, you know, be willing to say they're wrong, be willing to say they're sorry, be willing to admit fault, be willing to just be humble. You know, we just got to get back to this place where it's about the Wakantanka. It's about the great mystery. It's about we don't know, man. We're so blessed, but we don't know, you know, mm-hmm. and this sense of wonder that we just we're losing that. We're getting cynical. We're getting jaded. And that's all being pushed by social media and the way people talk and the words they use. And it's all, you know, etymology is a huge weapon right now. Notoriously, there's seven sacred sciences of the Nephilim and one of them is rhetoric. And they're really twisting our language up right now. So you do have to be careful what you say because words have great power. A lot of people literally think the Wakantanka, you know, or the, in the case of the Australian Aborigines, they literally think, you know, saying the world into existence by words, through sounds, through words. So you have to be really careful, especially right now, the words you use and everything, because it's all deception. I think my analysis in the end is that they're on their last leg and that we are going through what I've called the great remembering. And that reason I call it the great remembering instead of awakening, it gets obvious in the pages of the book because I'm referring to ancient cultures who knew this stuff, and then we forgot it somehow. But we are going through that, and really fast, actually. And a lot of people are waking up, and they know it. So when your own kid's writing a book called Spare, you know, it's not good. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, we just have to be brave. And if you're brave, things turn out well. And you got a lot better chance of surviving brave than you'd be scared, okay? So if you're worried about your life and if, Death's a big deal to you, which it's really not and shouldn't be. 
to me it's not but if it is a big deal to you you just should understand that your best chances of surviving right now are by being extremely brave instead of extremely scared and keeping your head down and just all you care about is answering to authority you know the boss your parents expectations and whatever that authority is the royal society latest you know newscast of the day 30 minutes of garbage followed by five minutes of feel-good news to legitimize the broadcast you know whatever it is that keeps you stupid you got to lose that man and you got to get brave and you got to say i don't care about that i care about what's right i care about doing the right thing mm-hmm. spike lee baby just do the right thing <laughs> yes <laughs> and i see so many people being petty and argumentative online i mean that's cliche to say but when i see that i just think you know don't underestimate the value of just being likable in a collapse or in difficult times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you might just want to be a fun person to be around in general. <laughs> that might help you survive. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. Now that's, that's <laughs> clear thinking. That's science. <laughs> that's science, man. Right there, Greg. I mean, if you know what I mean. Yeah, because people don't want to uh, have you pick apart every sentence they say and like who wants to be with that and that's what online has done to people right especially it's gotten so much yeah just all this sniping about little factoids or you misspell the word or whatever yeah i don't miss that about not having a blog now i sure don't miss that because for all the people who wrote and said good job there was plenty of people who were just they're just a drag they're just a total drag i don't need to be drugged down into the tico mud (laughs) <laughs> by your hangups, man. So just keep it to yourself, Holmes, and try to get better, you know? Yeah, yeah. So while we still have some time, I wanted to ask you about like kind of where you see the next few years going. Because when you are writing about the world king being crowned and what would uh, happen before that, you say, my guess is that it will follow a cataclysmic global war or economic collapse. A fearful public will be told of the second coming of Jesus, possibly on the heels of a fake alien invasion, as envisioned in Project Bluebeam. The king will actually be a Luciferian antichrist from one of the above-mentioned royal bloodlines in an attempt to bring in a fourth industrial revolution via fifth-generation 5G weaponized technology, their utopian dream. After this great reset is a new world order based on the complete electronic enslavement of humanity. And that's a hell of a guess. I mean, it sounds like all the buzzwords on the conspiracy bingo card and maybe the story of the next decade, perhaps. But what do you see the next decade really looking like uh, outside of what you say in that paragraph? Well, I think that's pretty much their plan, but it's just how's it going to go? And I don't see it going that way because I think we're going to (laughs) win. So, I mean, I think we're going to, I don't know. I'm pretty optimistic actually about things because I see a lot more people, um, even just this idea that a lot of people aren't going back to work, you know, and a lot of people give them a hard time for that. Oh, these kids are not hard. No, they shouldn't want to go be slaves anymore. That's the biggest part of this problem is that people accept their slavery and then they get their paycheck and then they go piss it away at the shopping mall. that's owned by the same family that stole your labor at the factory or wherever. And you just keep feeding this parasite with your shopping and with your working, with your shopping and your working and shopping and working. And it's just like quit. And it's just so this is a good sign. And I just think there's uh I don't know. I think they really might have overstepped here with this COVID situation is what I think. I'm really encouraged by the Republican hearings because now that they got just a like even if it's just a you know, 
one or two person majority that they, they now have the committee chair so you know they're doing the hunter Biden laptop they're dragging matt taibbi you know in front of the hearings and and he's spilling the beans on the twitter files which is pretty funny because taibbi's a total lefty too and then you got the wuhan situation kind of coming to light big time under another committee yeah so i mean there's actually a lot of stuff coming out i mean when robert redfield testifies before a House subcommittee that, you know, Fauci pretty much invented this narrative that it didn't happen as a lab leak, even though Redfield thought it was. And then when asked, was it gain-of-function research funded by the U.S. government through EcoHealth Alliance that caused the release of this virus, he said yes. <laughs> so, I mean, 7 million people are dead. And... Again, they're going to try to do a limited hangout because they got caught. They're going to try to say it was China now. That's going to be, you know, they'll get Laura Ingram and the whole right-wing mob behind them and saying, yeah, yeah, it was China. It was China. It wasn't China. It wasn't China. China said, when this first happened in March of 2020, I heard a Chinese defense official interviewed. The only time I ever heard a Chinese defense official interviewed about it, and he said, they asked him where it came from, and he said, the U.S. military brought it to our country. And that's exactly what happened. They brought it to their country during the World Military Games in Wuhan. And it may even have something to do with an interaction of 5G with this coronavirus that would somehow stimulate parasites, maybe, because the cybermectin works for some strange reason. Don't know, you know, but it's very sophisticated operation where they're trying to, I think, use the 5G to enhance the killing ability of the coronavirus that they created. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. That's the story that I'm stuck on, too. And it kind of reminds me of 9-11, where you got Dr. Judy Wood, who wrote this great textbook about the actual materials coming down and how they were fused together in weird ways. And mm -hmm. she basically says it was some kind of exotic microwave Tesla-like technology that brought these towers down. And so, you know, the point, the analogy is like, this technology is so sophisticated that a regular person can't identify it. Exactly. So you really are left with nothing but the official story, because if you can't solve it, then you got you got nothing. No one's going to listen to you. you can't so see can't. See yeah. It, right. I think the same thing's going on with COVID. It's, it's so sophisticated and there's so many weird little aspects to it that it's just really hard to identify it fully. And if you can't do that, then people just go with the narrative. Mm -hmm. Yep. But it has something to do with that transition from fossil fuel-based economy to an electromagnetic economy, okay? And that's what it has to do with. And probably those weapons that Judy Woods talked about were a test or something. Who knows? But at any rate, I just don't think it's necessarily working. And I think, you know, I do think that the, that the vaccinations are creating human antennas everywhere because the 5G would need that because it's a short millimeter wave. It doesn't travel very far. So you got to have people with the mRNA vaccines in them that'll act as our antennas in between the towers. I do yeah. really believe that's for sure true. And um, that's where the graphene comes in. So maybe that's even the biggest part of it. Maybe you know it's not a depopulation as much as it is uh, advancing this fourth industrial revolution. But also just that being said, I don't think it's working. And I, I think a lot of their stuff's not working. And this probably won't work either. I also want to just say you do talk in the book about being a terrain guy and not really being into the germ theory, but then we also have to 
rectify that with something can be made in a lab that makes people sick. So, I mean, both things can kind of be true. That's another division going on in the conspiracy world. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that, I think viruses exist, but I just think, um, I think they're in us all the time. You know, I just think they're naturally occurring. Right. Um, we have, we have anthrax in us, man. <laughs> you know, we have everything. <laughs> well, I was always taught that when you shake hands with someone, you transfer like 10,000 viruses between the two of you. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Probably. I'm not saying they don't exist. They just don't necessarily make us sick. There you go. That's what I'm saying. And and I'm saying that yeah, all them guys, again, if you look at Louis Pasteur, member of the Royal Society, right? Um, all them guys. And and it's just never been proven. And it's it's you know, really a virus can't travel between an animal into the human population without being manipulated. And that they know that already, even the virologist types. But yeah, I just think a lot of uh what passes for for pandemics and and you know, sickness and black plague and all this different stuff. I just think it has more to do with the unsanitary conditions, which again, start with agriculture <laughs> and then get worse with cities because cities concentrate people. There's open sewers now, there's common, you know, there's garbage dumps, big garbage dumps, not just one, you know, a little tribe and they move on. Yeah. So it's a lot, it's a, it's an indication of the, a lot of bad decisions we've made. Uh, yeah. From those, from those benevolent aliens <laughs> or whatever, but, so I just think a lot of it is just, just you know, and that and that was the understanding before, um, before, you know, um, germ theory came along, which is again relatively recent. It's only 150 years old, or whatever. And before that, it was miasma theory or terrain theory, or there's different things they call it. But they all for for 100,000 years. I mean, people thought that you know the reason you get sick is because you get poisoned. Yep. And if you look at the crown, it's like they have an apothecary, right? Well, the apothecary. Uh, back to them is basically like a witch and they study all manner of different ways to poison people all the time and they always have and so those apothecaries are now our scientists are you know at, at the cdc and and what are they doing with gain-of-function research oh the welcome trust which is the crown's biggest medical charity and the biggest medical charity in the world along with darpa is funding gain-of-function research <laughs> which does what it, it just it attacks people and it poisons people. You're poisoning people. Yeah. So, and, and, and a lot of people think, you know, the, the, for example, the polio epidemic coincided with the release of DDT in California. Yeah. And a lot of, so there's a lot of evidence actually that, that no, the old timers were right. And, and it really is about just every time they poison you, they have to come up with some excuse. Like this time, I think they poisoned us with 5G and, and they just turned it on. And then they had to have like a backstop. So they released this virus and maybe they did some more tweaking and, and made it interact with the 5G to make it more whatever. But but they knew people were going to die anyway of the 5G. And so they had to have a cover. So this time, yeah, it's a coronavirus this time. And a common goal. And by the way, coronavirus, uh, crown, corona means crown, right? In Latin. And uh, virus means poison. Venom or venom, and there's some people who think this is snake venom involved with the Wuhan thing, and it could be too. I don't know. Yeah, but they poisoned us again. That's <laughs> what happened, and right. it does. And but yeah, but by saying it's germs, and you know, then it's like on us, and it puts the it puts the onus on us, right? And it's your fault because you didn't, you know, clean whatever, keep clean whatever. Uh, no, it wasn't us. We didn't, you know, we just dumped all this in the river over here. This big railroad thing blew up and we blew it up vinyl chloride but no no it wasn't us it was your fault that you 
succumb to a virus or succumb to cancer. You're weak. You humans are weak. So it's all, yeah, I, I do tend to definitely think, and increasingly, and I think after writing this book, even more so, I think that, that yeah, pretty much it's train theory and pretty much every virus, every germ, everything they'd say is bad for us. Um, I mean, there's a war on, on, on biology. There's a war on the biotica. There's a war, you know, that's why you got antibacterial soap, right? Because there's just, it's, again, it's just part of their war on everything, on nature. And germs are a part of nature and what they could call germs. So there's a war on everything. And, and, and in, in making things maybe a little too clean. And, and again, these Luciferians have, have subjected us to things like, yeah, uh, you know, there's uh, antibiotic resistance, you know. Yes. And, and they've created this, this total disaster precisely because they took the bite out of the apple, chose to worship their intellect instead of their empathy. And chose to follow a bad path instead of a good red road. Just that simple. Amen. Amen. And now we walk around with the device with the bitten apple right on the back of it. And nobody blinks an eye. Nobody <laughs> thinks about it. But man, you know a lot about a lot. Great points about the agriculture thing and how it turns into like concentrated cities and big junk piles. I mean... Nature likes to flow, the wind, the water, maybe humanity should be flowing as well with a kind of a mobile uh, lifestyle. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm coming over to your page on that one, but man, uh, you are one of the good ones. Obviously you don't have a website anymore, but is there any parting information to give people about supporting your work or anywhere they can follow you? Just, uh, you know, if you, if yeah, I got, I guess, uh, yeah, this, so the, the latest book is, uh, Royal Bloodline with Tico and the Great Remembering. And uh, it's about a month out there on Amazon now. But yeah, all my books, I got seven of them. They're on Amazon. Just just type in Dean Henderson, Amazon. Um, you can also get it at Barnes & Noble. Um, you can go to your local library, have them order one, which I always encourage because then you don't got to pay for it yourself. But, you know, your whole community will be able to read that book that way and in, 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 uh, different ways. But, but yeah, that's about it. And I uh, appreciate you having me. Uh, you know, Greg, and you're one of the good guys too, man. So happy travels. And, uh, you know, if you need to take a detour uh, up to the Black Hills, uh, I'll be here. <laughs> Cheers. I appreciate that. Well, keep fighting the good fight, man. Nice talking to you again. Take care out there. All right. You too, man. Take care. The return of Dean Henderson, people. I love it. And here I thought the banking collapse part might be outdated by airtime. But no. <laughs> I just heard Deutsche Bank is in trouble, and that's a biggie. It's all a house of cards anyway, right? We know that. But Dean's great. He has a few perspectives that do sort of go against the typical grain, like his points about civilizing humanity actually being a curse rather than a gift. And it makes me think of older shows we did about Native Americans cultivating abundance in the landscape rather than growing monocrops in straight rows. The environment is dynamic, and if you cultivate that abundance in everything you do, I could see how you just follow the weather patterns and it's all groovy. The sanitation point is a good one, too. It's the development of cities and staying in one place that creates the trash and the bad hygiene and eventually illness and disease. I don't really think there's any one way to live, but the first time I heard Dean say that we should have stuck to the hunter-gatherer ways, I was kind of like, what? But the more he breaks it down, the more I can see what he's saying. No stockpiles, no kings, no problem. 
And when I think about these culture seeders as spiritual teachers, it makes even more sense to me. The whole trickster energy thing, giving something to us that we think is a gift and many years down the line, it could be thought of as the source of a lot of our problems. Because spirits don't care about long timelines, so they just launch ideas here and they just laugh and laugh and laugh all along the way. I also love guests who have their way of tracking elite bloodlines all the way back to Babylon. And I know he's broken that down here on previous episodes, so I asked what new threads he had discovered for this latest book, and that yielded some interesting stuff. We didn't really get into that thing where all U.S. presidents are related, but it's in Dean's book, and he breaks it down even further. From my notes here, he says that all the U.S. presidents are actually part of the Plantagenet bloodline that intermarried with the French Anjou and the Norse Viking Rollo bloodline where the Normandy interbreeding frenzy occurred in the 14th and 15th centuries. These Normans then invaded the British Isles via William the Conqueror and now nearly every U.S. president is a descendant from the Plantagenet royals. This is also the Charlemagne bloodline, he says. It's wild. Very impressive research to me. I don't even know how you nail down stuff like that. I was also really glad we could dedicate a section to the pillaging of Africa and the Congo slave mines. I consider that a huge blind spot in America, and I've been thinking about it more and more. They're actually having these crazy reparations conversations in San Francisco, where apparently there never really was a slavery problem. And really, it's just a logistical nightmare. You can never unravel who gets what. Many Africans have come to America outside of the slavery system. A lot of them still are coming to America. And then you have people who intermarried in interracial families. And generations later, it's a big, muddy mess. Yes, it's a nasty blight on the history of America. But it's also a very small piece of the slavery story in human history. It's actually funny because I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts, and recently there was a clip going around from Bad Friends with Santino and Bobby Lee, and Bobby Lee's Korean, and they're talking about how Koreans have a superiority complex, they're kind of the whites of the Asians, and they're just having some fun with it, but Bobby Lee's like, yeah, that's true, but we've never taken advantage of that or used it against the rest of the people, and they look it up, and well, I'll just play it. Here's what happened. But some societies, like Koreans, they might have a God complex, but they don't have a history of oppression. Are you fucking out of your mind? Yeah, what the fuck? Koreans didn't have slaves. Did Koreans have slaves? Yeah, Google that. I'm yeah, because I think that's fucking wrong. We were Korea about the, the longest <laughs> unbroken chain of slavery of any society in history spanning 1,500 years. Fuck off. <laughs> that's not what it says. Zoom it in. My eyes are blurry. I want to read it, all right? Read it out loud. Korea had the longest unbroken chain of slavery of any society in history. <laughs> Holy sh**. You guys are f***ing scumbags. We're scumbags. <laughs> I do find that clip very funny because the irony of just thinking one thing and you could not be more wrong is funny. I mean, it happens to all of us. But he didn't even know. And it makes my point, right? Memories are short, slavery is wrong, but it's a much bigger and broader history than people realize. 
And I see black activists tweeting about how much contempt they have for America because of that little piece of history. And they're tweeting these things using a device made by black slaves in Africa today, right now, on a platform owned by a guy whose father got rich off those very mines. So everybody's outrage is just window dressing. And I get that we're all hypocrites somewhere, and the system is built to capture us and get us entangled and complicit in these hellish realities. But highlighting these very real facts about where our technology and anything that uses lithium-ion batteries or cobalt comes from is a really useful tool for responding to vigilant wokeism, let's call it, and the green agenda, which is even more important. It's a way to push back against smart everything and electric cars because it's not green at the start of the supply chain. And it's a good way to say to the activists, if you care so much about African slavery, focus on what you can do about it today rather than chastising people who had nothing to do with it for a centuries-old sin. I would actually like to do a full show about a lot of this stuff that gets down and dirty with the details of what's going on over there, but I'm still looking for the right guest. The author of Cobalt Red was on Joe Rogan. And that means he has a lot of attention right now, so he hasn't responded to my request. So I need other suggestions. Let me know in the comments, as they say. But good show. I'm into it. And I know we're a bit behind this month. Lots of moving parts in my life. I don't want to bore you with it too much, but we were supposed to close on a house yesterday. But we had some complications that have pushed it back. We're going to give them two weeks to solve what is a pretty big problem for me. I'm not going to move into the house with this problem, but everybody's incentivized to make this sale happen, so I hope that they can just get it done. Fuck it, I don't really want to get too personal, but I guess I'll just open up because there might be a small chance someone out there can help me because this is a real mystery. After many years, I'm finally splurging and I'm buying a new house that's new construction on a well system in Florida. So I felt really good about finally being off city water and out of a place that was built in the years of toxic materials like my current place, which is a building from 1955. I got a kid now. I got to do better. So everything was going along as planned. And then I had the water tested and the water at the well tested clean. Great. You need clean groundwater. But the water at the kitchen sink tested five times over the EPA's safe limit for lead. Twice. So it's not just a one-test fluke. And I can't just get a water filtration system because they usually go on the outside of the house, and this is obviously a problem inside the house. It's strange because there is no lead in modern plumbing materials. And it's really disheartening because I thought I was finally going to insulate my family from this sort of shit. And now we're kind of stuck. The builder and the seller sort of seem to think this is something they can shrug their shoulders on and I'm going to eventually crack, but they don't know me. And they don't know how I feel about water quality. You do. So if anyone out there knows a lot about plumbing or thinks they can help solve this mystery... Let me know, but be aware, I've done a ton of research. I don't need plumbing 101 sort of advice. I think what I really need is a third-party plumber in the Tampa area to scope it all out. 
but when everything is new, I just don't understand how this is happening. If you have any thoughts, thehiresidechats at gmail.com. This is the biggest problem in my life right now, and it could blow up an otherwise pretty perfect place and put us back to starting from scratch, which I really don't want to do. But anyway, it's probably going to screw up my calendar for April. I had everything mapped out, and now we're going to have to rework it a bit. But even with this complication, by May 1st, I should be in Florida getting on with my new life, and you shouldn't have to hear about it anymore. <laughs> but if I end up short a show in April, I will make it up to you in the next month, I promise. I'm already quite stressed about how it's going to shake out, but I'd rather try to get it all done and come up short than just take a month off or anything like that. So just give me a little grace, please, if it shakes out in some suboptimal way. I'm trying here. I mean, hey, I'm working on my birthday, <laughs> so you know it's true. And all I really want for my birthday this year and every year is for you to get more of the show you love. Sign up with a seven-day free trial and get twice as much THC with THC+. Today's show with Dean got into a lot in the second hour, like the elite goal to crown a world king and the strange lineage of Prince William, the Privy Council and the Royal Monarchs, blood vampirism and the Red Cross, the prospect of Anunnaki regime change, the effects of an empire in decline, Dean's prescription to reclaim the nation, lesser-known modern monarchs, Dean's outlook for the next few years, and hidden technology driving elite agendas. Please do yourself a favor and get the full two hours of this show and every show for the low, low cost of eight bucks a month. Plus, don't forget we have a recording of the live Q&A from the Gramerica Mount Shasta event on the bonus content page for Plus members. Of course, the very first question was about Tracy Twyman, so <laughs> get into that and just poke around. There's a lot of good stuff on the bonus page. And for the ongoing Plus episodes, you can still listen on most major podcast apps, or you can sign up through Patreon, etc., etc. I try to make it as friction-free as possible. But before we go, let's also check out the calendar at HiresideMeetups.com, where anyone can throw up a potential gathering and see who shows. Coming up tomorrow, there's one in Asheville, North Carolina. Actually looks like it's a house party. <laughs> And then April 1st, the conspiracy theorizers are meeting up again in High Springs, Florida. I hope to attend when I get down there. Then we have the Stay Golden event April 8th at Sundowner Bar and Grill in Sedona, Arizona. And April 15th, the Ticknall Walk in Ticknall, Derby, United Kingdom. They're doing a nature walk. I like it. Creative. But that's really it. Not much on the calendar for April. If you want to make new friends, hop on in there. You'll find like-minded people. You can share local resources. And, you know, if you make it, they will come. But that's about it for me. Very, very lucky to do what I do. 38 years young. Thanks to everyone who enjoys and supports the show. Thanks to great guests like Dean for bringing the heat. I couldn't be happier, guys, despite staring into the abyss for a living. I'm a lucky man, so take care of you and yours. I've done my part. 
Your move, cunning culture seeders, tricky civilizing tricksters, and elite bloodline bad guys. Your fucking move. The truth has been hidden from me. Didn't believe it myself. Got lizard people on top of the world. And I wish it was somebody else. TV and obey Take some more pills when you're blue Or we'll break you out of the spell that you're in Together we will make it through Believe it or not, the truth is out there For people who have the eyes to see My favorite show Thank you.